welcome to the holiday podcast where we usually sit over some homemade challah on Friday afternoons at my dining room table. I'm your host, Tammy Priest, a Jewish follower of Jesus, and it's great to be with you today as we take another look at the intersection of the old and the new. Now, if you're watching the vodcast as opposed to the audio podcast, you can see that we're sitting outside Thursday night at the walls of a sukkah or booth on our deck. And instead of challah, I have these cute little cakes that I baked in tin cans. Um, they are little date nut cakes from this cookbook of Jewish recipes. And this is a really special cookbook to me because my grandma illustrated it and printed it in her print shop in Brooklyn. She actually started the shop with a friend in her basement when my father was young and then opened up a brick and mortar shop with the idea of running a business where women who wanted to um, care for their families and also have a job could work part-time. It was this awesome place and I would work there um, as a really young girl even um, whenever I would visit. Sometimes separating out those inky blue carbon copy sheets or preparing mailings for local synagogues and churches and it was really fun and I loved being there and I really loved watching my grandma lead. In fact this cookbook was for an organization called Pioneer Women which was started I think in the 1920s as an international organization of Jewish women and my grandma became an officer in the 1970s and um, Fun fact, my very first speaking um, appearance was at an annual Pioneer Women meeting when I was eight years old. So my grandma had taken me with her to show off her granddaughter, as grandmas love to do, but also because she wanted me to be part of the movement to help women and families in Israel. And I had tugged on her sleeve and told her I wanted to say something to the group and instead of shushing me, she told me to go ahead. So I went to the podium and talked about the importance of women helping other women um, and children. I really wish there was a picture of that day, um, but I remember exactly what I was wearing. Um, this blue floral dress with white lace shoulders. Um, anyway, my grandmother was my very first encourager as a speaker, and it's a really special memory for me. And all of that is to say that today, instead of challah, I made a recipe for Sukkot, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles from this cookbook, which is a collection of recipes from back in 1974. And um, I've just zhuzhed up the cans a little bit um, for us to make them a little bit more festive. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense because the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles that we're in the middle of is the only feast in scripture where God actually commanded people to rejoice and to rejoice for an entire week. In fact, a nickname for the feast is Zaman Simchatenu, which means um, the season of our joy. Now, of course, um, you know, other Old Testament feasts caused rejoicing, but this is the only one where God actually commanded people to rejoice. So let me actually read to you his instructions from Deuteronomy and I'm going to read the message translation because I love how he captures uh, the joy of the feast. Observe the feast of booths for seven days when you gather the harvest from your threshing floor and your wine vat. 
Rejoice at your festival, you, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid, the Levite, the foreigner, and the orphans and widows who live in your neighborhood. So everybody, celebrate the feast to God, your God, for seven days at the place God designates. God, your God, has been blessing you in your harvest and in all your work. So make a day of it. Really celebrate really celebrate. I love that. Because I'll tell you that the celebrating in ancient Jerusalem during this feast was beyond what we can imagine. The entire city was lit up by the light of just three menorahs or lampstands that were so huge that the priests had to climb ladders in order to tend to the wicks. And there was live entertainment every waking hour that there wasn't worship. And even the famous Gamaliel was known for juggling flaming torches during this celebration. So it was huge. Um, so what is it about the Feast of Booths that would require a week of this kind of exuberant rejoicing? Well, we can look to God's two other commands uh, besides the rejoicing to shed some light on this. So first he told the Israelites to live in booths for the entire week. And so here's a passage from um, Leviticus. Live in booths for seven days. Every son and daughter of Israel is to move into booths so that your descendants will know I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am God, your God. So these booths were supposed to be temporary makeshift um, huts with roofs that are skimpy enough to see the stars through them at night. And living and eating in these temporary tabernacles was intended to remind God's people of how he protected them during their wandering in the wilderness. And I shared more about the booths in last year's podcast about Sukkot, which I reposted to Instagram yesterday, if you wanna learn more about it. But anyway, the ultimate point of the booths is that we rejoice because God protected his people back then when they were so vulnerable for so long. And also because he is our true eternal protection still today. So his eternal protection is one reason that we rejoice during this feast. And then God also instructed the people to celebrate in a really unique way. On the first day, pick the best fruit from the best trees, take fronds of palm trees and branches of leafy trees, and from willows by the brook, and celebrate in the presence of your God for seven days. For seven full days, celebrate it as a festival to God. So what does it look like to celebrate with these things? So in biblical times and still today, people wave this bundle of branches and this piece of fruit that looks like a lemon called an etrog. And the waving is a celebration and it's a worshipful celebration because when we wave them up and down and in all four directions, you go up and down and then north, south, east and west. Um, it's a proclamation that God reigns over all the earth. And since this is a harvest time feast, we're worshiping and celebrating that God provides the rain and the sunshine that grows the crops and provides for our animals. So 
kind of circling back around, like in a nutshell, really, um, we rejoice during this feast by living in these makeshift temporary huts and shaking some branches because they celebrate and proclaim God as our eternal protector and our true provider. So whether it feels like we're wandering in a desert or we're reaping a harvest of blessings, we can rejoice either way. Um, and really not just can, we must. God says we must. And we rejoice in all things because, as we know from Romans, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, the Apostle Paul, who celebrated this feast in Jerusalem every single year as Saul, said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And this is something who lived through really powerful days, but also really agonizing days too. But he said, again, I say rejoice. And so following Paul's lead and God's command, um, today I pray that we can also thank God for sustaining us and providing for us through both the beautiful and the broken seasons of life and that we'd each ask God to help us to trust him through our vulnerable wilderness days and to depend on him and not ourselves during our bountiful ones. And also that um, during this feast when we're actually commanded to rejoice, that we would rejoice in him, that we would let his faithfulness in all seasons um, fill our hearts and our lips with rejoicing on this holiday. day.